guys. <laughs> Welcome to Overcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And I I've, know the intro. And apparently I forgot how to do this podcast. What have we got going on today? What's up? Oh, uh, We have an awesome episode about Le Mans, the history of the iconic race, the endurance race. Yeah, let's have a little bit of a discussion about Le Mans. It's never it's gonna a be bad thing. Awesome. Also talk about our last minute rally prep, you and I. Yep. But before we get to any of that, we got to talk about our sponsor, WeatherTech. So Chris, last few weeks, you may have noticed a theme with me discussing WeatherTech. Mainly, they are so much more than just amazing yeah, formats. Yeah, yeah, for right? sure. They have a ton of awesome products for your car or truck. And here's another example. The no-drill mud flap. Contoured specifically for each make and model, mud flaps protect your car's fender and exterior from debris picked up by your tires as you drive. And they also look cool because mud flaps are always an awesome choice to put on your car. Especially <laughs> if you go on a rally. Mud flaps install in minutes without the need for wheel and tire removal or drilling into a car's painted surface. You're not going to crack your paint trying to get these on. And, you know, as we know, as fall and winter approaches mud flaps are the perfect tool to help defend and protect your car from the elements so to learn more about mud flaps and WeatherTech's other great products be sure to check out weathertech.com while you're there chris check out weathertech.com slash overcrest for our latest giveaway so they were giving away 20 yeah, and 20 gift cards i know uh david monzingo one of our listeners yep. won one of those twenty dollar gift they're cards. They're gone. They're gone. As okay. far as I know, they're gone because they've moved on. Now one listener will win a two hundred and fifty dollar WeatherTech oh, gift card. Oh, they're stepping it up. Two hundred fifty dollar <laughs> WeatherTech gift card. All right. All right. So that would be quite awesome. How much are their car covers? Do we know? I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> I need one of those car covers. We'll have to work I, on that. I'm going to say you can't win this contest. <laughs> I don't think that'd be fair, Chris. It probably, probably, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. All right. So uh, before we get into the Lamas stuff, what's going on? with me with cars you so i never you, told you, anybody so you were like i'm gonna get this jaguar i it's never told anybody great so and even more of an old man car it is the old jaguar yeah well there are cars that are more old man than a jaguar like a buick or a cadillac both more old man than a jag the jag the jag, the jag. you know i had this uh clarkson clip all queued up to play last couple weeks ago that's he, what i was channeling when it's the jag. jag uh but no no jaguar i actually went and uh looked at it and it had been hit in the front and it needed a little bit more work than i presumed okay and then I, I, meant, I know you mentioned this you're like oh it's got some little damage i'm gonna buff so, it out and it's gonna be generic. i didn't say that <laughs> i no. so basically what happened is it was hit in the front and from what i could see there's no frame damage but the mounts from the bumper are totally skewed over so I'm like, ooh, I don't know. This is suddenly looking much harder. Well, not and only then, that, this is a winter car for you, and right. it's going to snow next week. Apparently. So. Okay, so here's the deal. I was like, okay, the damage notwithstanding, I could fix it. You okay. know, if I really like the car. Right. It was cheap. It was the cost of the guy's deductible. <laughs> it was a cheap car. Okay. But I got to drive it. So I get in, and the first thing I do when I get in mm -hmm. is go, oh, this really doesn't feel that special. Right. It didn't feel special or unique. or And I didn't like the dials. The numbers were really tiny. <laughs> I didn't like the font on the dials. I love the things you critique about a car. Not like, I, I don't know. Like, that's just such, such a the weird, font on the dials? thing. The font on the dials of the gauge <laughs> is what... Put me off. It was. It was the first thing. I'm like, oh, they're oh really the, the font is really small, and the binnacle for it is really not the wrong. Fact, okay, hold on. 
The fact that it had been crashed <laughs> it bears no influence on you whatsoever. The fact that the font on the dials is I, wrong see, the thing was it, the deciding factor. For no, you. no, that wasn't. That was the start of the the downhill okay. slide. And like I said, the binnacle was weird. The, the the circles where the gauges are were too small, which is why the, the font was so small. Anyway, but there's lots of wood, and the thing with the seats felt really comfortable. Uh-huh. Like, all right, well, let me go drive it. The suspension was shot. Okay. The struts were blown out. It needed a bunch of bushings. And I go, you know what? I don't like it. It was, <laughs> And it, it wasn't just that. Even when I was driving on smooth land or a road. Smooth land yeah, as well, opposed well, to. Well, it is a land yacht. Water thing, where you're going to drive it. It is a land yacht. I will right, say that it was a very, sure. very big car. There was a lot of wind noise, which really, mm. really surprised me. And I just was, I just thought to myself, you know what? Nah, nah, I'm done. I'm out. Not, not, this is, this is not for me. Plus the trunk was really small for some reason. Like, really? Just, it was very, 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 well. That's usually the one thing about these big cars. It was relatively small. So anyway, no Jaguar. So then what do I do? I'm like, okay, what else could I get? I want kind of like a, a unique car. And I said, well, why don't I get a Porsche 928? And okay. Did I talk last episode I about going? I think you went and looked at the black one. Okay, I hadn't gone and looked at it yet. The transmission was out or yeah, yeah. the engine okay. was out or something. Yeah, so the, the basically it's uh, there's a torque tube, which mm-hmm. the drive shaft goes through, and inside the drive shaft are bearings that hold the drive shaft, and right. those basically hold the drive shaft in place. Yes, because the transmission's in the rear, Correct. so you have your drive shaft spinning at engine RPM. Right, so you need a little bit more help in terms of right. what's going on there. Anyway, so that's out of the car. And it's manual transmission only. The bearings Which is very rare. Well, twenty percent, twenty percent of all okay. models. I thought it was less than that. Yeah, I thought it was rarer than that too. But as I started looking, it's not that rare. Okay. Which also is one of the reasons why I didn't get the car. But uh, so it's five hundred dollars for these bearings. Oh, geez. and you need special tools to put them in. Yeah. So no then thanks. I'm looking at okay, where can I get this done? And the car was uh, three thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars. Mm-hmm. And I started looking. I'm like, wow, that the price is out of control. It just it didn't work for the, what it for is. What it is yeah. The interior was destroyed. It'd been sitting out in the sun. Everything in that car is wrapped in leather. The leather was pulling off the glove box. It was pulling off the seats. It's pulling off the center console. The steering. My hand smelled like the interior of that car after I took a shower. Mm. Like this musty, See, terrible that's smell. The problem with leather. Leather wears badly. Whereas the Yugo was all plastic. Everything was fine. It was fine. Unless you touched it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was, uh, it was like peanut brittle. It was like, yes. Things would just break very, very easily. Um, but so that car was an, that was out. So no Jag, no 928. So then I looked at some, so then I, I posted on my Instagram story about this 928. Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go look at it. Mm-hmm. I did kind of like a story. Cause I'm like, well, what if I buy this thing? I'd like to document that. So sure. I did a little story, blah, blah, blah. And I had people being like, run, run away, run. <laughs> I'm like, don't worry. I ran, I ran. And so it's okay. But then I started getting people like, Hey, I've got a 928 for sale, blah, blah, blah. Okay. One popped up in Chicago had 72,000 miles on it. It was black with a black leather interior. The, the seats were toast, but the rest of the interior was fine. Okay. It seemed like uh, so there was some issues going on. Like as I looked, he did some videos of it running and he started up and I could see that the temperature gauge was pegged and the, the brake fluid uh, thing was blinking. Like the, it said brake <laughs> fluid and there's the brake okay. light blinking. I'm like, okay. And then it was idling high, which is fine because it was cold. And then I just, I was like, you know what? What do you want for this thing? And he said, X, Y, Z. I said, it's a really good price. Why don't I come down to Chicago and take a look? Because it had 72,000 miles on it. Why not? Let's go try it. It's okay. a manual. And then he ghosted me. 
Oh, really? I didn't hear. I says, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Nothing. So he probably found out who I was and decided not to sell the car. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then I started looking back at my core, which was old Mercedes. Uh-huh. And on Monday, I'm going to look at a 300E, which is basically, it's a little bit bigger than a 190E. Mm-hmm. And this, I started looking at these a little bit more because one of my buddies has a 190E. And then there's like this little bit of consternation of, well, I already have a 190E. You're going to have a 190E too? And it was kind of like, uh. So then I'm like, all right, well, I'll look at some other things. I don't want to have the same car as another buddy of mine. And so I looked at the 300E, which is a little bit bigger. And I found like this dark navy blue one. I'm going to go look at it on Monday. It was owned by this dude's mom, right. which doesn't help my case with you at all. No, but, not uh, at all. And also, why are, what, what started this process? In terms of? Why are you looking for another car? A because different car. Because I cannot drive the C43 in the salt. Perfect. Why? Because it's worth money. And what is this new different Mercedes? It's only twenty nine hundred bucks. Also a boxy car. So what you told me with the EMG is it's too nice. You it feel is. bad. It's, it's. I don't think it's anything about the money because no one's gonna necessarily know or care if you drove it in the winter. In my mind, when you go to sell it, okay. Yes, they would. You it, told it, me you would feel guilty about being true. able to drive it. It was I true. said, what if you it sell is, it and the next guy just drives it this winter? Yeah, well, th- there is that. But then I'm not the one that's destroying the car. Okay. So Someone that's else what it's about. is destroying the car. Right. So it's you don't, like I have this moral this imperative. This car is too things. nice to drive. And yet, this other Mercedes that in my mind is the same boxy German Mercedes boring grandpa car, but more boring now, <laughs> is going to be just as nice. It looks very clean. I will give you that. Man, this looks like the ideal car you find in the old lady's garage. Yep. It's great. You're not going to want to drive this one in the winter for the same reason. Here's the thing, though. It's going to be more boring. They made millions of a, the 300 e they're 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 driving them out over sand dunes with taxi signs on them right now in South <laughs> Africa or, or wherever or Ethiopia. The AMG they only made fifteen hundred of. Okay, so it's a it's and a so far, you like that car better. Oh my god, I love my C forty three. Then why sell it to get something else you don't like as much? Because I because I feel bad. I don't I don't have the money to keep both cars. I don't have them. It it feels I feel. Fiscally irresponsible having mm-hmm. two cars in the garage that I can't drive on, no, on I'm, uh, I, in the winter. I just feel I'm like, fine with that. I'm telling you, drive the AMG in the winter. You have a car. So you that would be fine if it wasn't me. And the me is going to sell that car no matter what at some point. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's just who I am. Right. I like to sell things. And right now I have equity in that vehicle. Okay. There's two things. It's the moral imperative of not wanting to ruin something. The other part of it is ruin it. Yes, it will. It will rust. They all rust. It will turn to dust. It it's just I, what happens. Okay. Okay. Plus, these are different. They've got a body kit that's screwed into the car. It's cool. Diff- it's different. It'll rust. I feel like it will rust easier. Okay. Two is I have equity in that car. I feel like that car is probably worth about ninety five hundred bucks. Okay. I'm about. I paid. Um. I paid sixty three hundred for it. Mm-hmm. Cost me about a thousand dollars to get it home. Mm-hmm. Got fifteen hundred dollars into the tr- transmission. Eight hundred dollars of math right now. Okay, basically, I would like to break even on this car. Gotcha. So I want to be able to say, "Hey, I flew out. I got this car from California. I stored it over the winter. Mm-hmm. Here you go. It's yours." So you're saying you would lose value by driving it this winter? 
It, absolutely. If I knew, and I look at the, in terms of what would it be like if I bought the car? Sure. What, what would happen if I went and I looked at this car to buy it? If there was, first of all, it's white, so it's rare, which is cool. But if I went and looked at that car and the guy said, yeah, it's a California car. And I would go, well, did you drive it over this winter? And he would go, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's it. It's tainted. <laughs> I'm serious. It's it's just like, it's, I it's know like, what you mean. It's like dating a virgin that you find out later she's not. It's, it's, okay. I mean, it's, it's only not driven in the winter one time. Once it's driven in the winter, it's over. It's over. It's done. <laughs> and that's just the way I look uh-huh. at it. Uh-huh. And so it's too rare. It's too nice. I don't want to ruin it. I would like to make some, make it easier to sell in the spring. And I also like experiencing new things. So I'll go buy this 300E that's really nice that got driven by some old lady. So I can be like, pretend to be like an old man and drive it as well uh-huh. and be really comfortable and be really, really happy with it. And that's it. <laughs> okay. But you like experiencing new things and you've had a 190E before. I have not. I thought you said you did. I have, have not. Have you had a 300E? I have not. Okay. So I've not had You've either had of those. Two. Some other Mercedes of this similar vintage that's a box. Yes, I have. I had a yeah. W128. Cool. Which another is like another slightly older Mercedes box. Uh, it's slightly, but this is was an S class. Okay. So this this car. So you know what's crazy is I bought that car. That's the car I bought in California. And my my grandpa. I kind of already may have told the story how I bought yeah. it in California. Drove it back. Right. And the axle broke in uh, Yosemite National Park. Oh yeah. And so you guys camped so in. We camped out, and he somehow had the wherewithal to bring camping equipment. Right. I like he that. sabotaged the axle <laughs> right when we got well, there. Well, because now you have a story and yeah, a good memory it's, with it's your great. grandpa. So I but we paid so, like two thousand dollars for that. Here's the aside. Sabotage your kid's car so you can have a nice bonding experience with them. Right. There, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Just stick something in the tire. <laughs> Here you go, Junior. Fix this tire. Aren't we having fun? <laughs> um, so I paid like $2,000 for that car. This is kind of a funny story. Okay. Everybody's like, how did you ever come up with the money to build that green Mark one? Because yeah. that car costs a ton of money. The way that that started was that um, that car, the Mercedes got hailed on. Uh-huh. I paid two thousand dollars for it. Okay. Had it for, for a few years. Uh-huh. And you know, my grandpa, I, I always had this rivalry because he had a three hundred D. Okay. And he was always like, "Yeah, mine's got a turbo." I'm like, "Well, mine has a V eight. He's like, "I don't care. Mine's got a turbo." And we were always <laughs> going back and forth. It was kind of fun. Um, but the, the Mercedes, the blue one, the three eighty SE, sure, three point eight liter V eight. Okay, cool. It's a, it was cool. Yeah. Um, comfortable, quiet. Went down the road, nice, long wheelbase, whatever. Got hailed on. Yeah. And I remember the the insurance guy called me. He's like, and this at the time I was having trouble selling it for twenty five hundred dollars. Okay, so you already had it on the market, and then yeah, it got hailed on. It got hailed on, and I'm like, yes. So I had full coverage on the car, five hundred dollar okay. deductible. Yep. Insurance guy calls me. He's like, you know, I see that the blue book on this thing is worth like ten, but I I think we could do like. 8,500 or nine, but I think maybe we could get her 10 or 11 if I do a little bit more market research on which ones are for sale in your area. I said, nope. <laughs> no, I'll just, that sounds fine. Because he's going to see yours yeah, for 2,500. <laughs> I was like, I'll, wow. just, I'll just take it. And that that paid for the carburetors and a few other things <laughs> on Jess's car when we first, when we first got started. The carburetors. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's a good story. I hadn't heard that one. Oh, there's so many. I've got, I've got all kinds of stories. All right. Well, you're going to get another German box Mercedes. Do you want to hear my Scirocco story that I just posted on my Instagram? <laughs> sure. Why not? Yeah. I, I know some of it. So the, one of the cars that I, um, that I flipped or didn't flip, but drove and then was like, eh, I'm done. Yep. Was a 1976 
I think it was a 76. Yeah, because it didn't have the wraparound headlights in the front. Volkswagen Scirocco. And, and this, this was this was like this was very nice. Correct. This, this was, was done to an extremely high standard from what I remember. No? No. Okay, okay. Well, I'll tell you the story of this car. <laughs> so, um Chad SCI, yep, loves projects. Okay. Loves projects and to his he he he, oh, he moves around on projects quite a bit. Some he falls in love with and he keeps for a while and he finishes and they turn out great. Some of them he just gets bored with and I think he just moves on. Sure. So this car was a, a Scirocco that he, I don't know if he got it from a customer or what, whatever it was. Sure. SCI he is acquired a, it It's somehow. a Volkswagen shop here in town. Yep. So it's this old Scirocco, early Scirocco, and he has it painted uh, chrome yellow, which is like Porsche signal yellow. Yeah, it's a very bright, yeah, So, But it, I mean, it's yellow. painted by... Uh, these group of dudes behind his shop, they're these Mexican guys that it's kind of a paint booth. But, okay. but if you give them a good chassis, they painted my car once. Yeah. And it, they did better than another place did. <laughs> yep. And uh, they painted my car once and it turned out fine. Anyway, so I got this car. Oh, so he got the car back from paint. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Volkswagen was getting rid of engines and transmissions. Okay, they're like, okay, we're, we're putting these things on sale. We're done. We don't need any more of these. So we've got all these AEB 1.8T engines. So these are their brand new, brand new modern engines in at the, the cr- time. In the crate, brand new. Wow. Okay? okay. So he gets one of these engines, zero miles on this engine. Wow. And he's got it for this car, and he gets a transmission like a, uh, I guess it would have been like a more modern O2A. I don't know what the, sure. whatever it is, five-speed yep. um, cable transmission, hydraulic clutch uh, mm-hmm. transmission. He gets that brand new from Volkswagen and he gets the seats redone and he gets all these other parts for the car and then goes, eh, <laughs> I'm done. And That's like, the and best part is assembling new parts in the car, so, isn't it? So then the car went to a guy named John Balsh, who yes. is another guy around here that likes building yep. things. And he went, eh, really? I'm done. And I went, you know what? I'm in. Yeah. So I got this car. It was basically Legos at that point. It was, well. The, <laughs> you just no. got to bolt it together. No, it was not Legos at this point. It was, all the wiring wasn't done. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of work oh, no. putting put this car together. I can only imagine. It was. And like, we had to do intercooler piping and all the wiring yeah. and everything. It was not. I mean, the engine was in a crate, basically, to put into this car that had no wiring that existed in it, which right. is why people were going, eh, <laughs> I don't want to do it. So I ended up getting the car for $5,000, okay. which seems like not much very right now, but this is 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So 10 years ago, that was a good deal, but it wasn't wild. Well, especially your like, different position in your life and anything else. Yeah, no yeah. kids, whatever. Just yeah, fuck, yeah, buy it. So <laughs> I ended up putting it together, and I, I'm bad at wiring, or at least I was then, and trying to get like the ECO to work with the immobilizer and get all this other stuff. Yeah. It's a KO3S, so it was chipped. I mean, the thing was probably... 215 wheel horsepower, 200, yep. 200 wheel horsepower. We got a chip, got it running, and it was great. It was an awesome car. Um, my friend at the time, Jack, helped me out with a lot of the wiring because I'm just not a very good wiring guy. Uh, anyway, so we got the car going, and then I went and drove it for like two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and I, there was this instance where I was with Jesse. She was with me in the car. The thing had a roll cage in it okay. and, and the seats, and that's it. It was very light. They weigh a little bit less than a rabbit. Oh, really? They do. And oh, this thing had the TV screen headlights. I was gonna mention which that. are just boss. They're so they're, they're they must be eight by ten inch. Yeah, they in my mind TV they're screens. so ugly. They're cool. Yeah, they're huge. They're yes. great. I love them. I kind of really need another one of those cars someday. <laughs> so I had Jess with me in the car, and I'm. Yeah. This thing is it is it is. I remember I had trouble with the uh, thing would cut out. It, it would go into lip mode all the time. 
but it ended up being like a diverter valve or something like that. Okay. I'm just remembering all these things it's as coming I tell back you. To you. It's yeah. coming back to me. So I'm with Jess. We're driving at night. I lived out in out by the Lake Minnetonka, and we're driving on these, you know, these back roads. It's dark. There's no street lights in some of these areas. And I go, and I'm just like, at the time, Jess didn't matter uh, care as much as <laughs> Jess, she didn't at matter. At the time, she Jess didn't, didn't matter. matter. <laughs> Great. Uh, <laughs> That's on record. <laughs> it is. My wife didn't matter at the time. Which, if you judged by my attitude of the way I was driving the car isn't too far <laughs> off because I was driving too fast okay. and I crested this the car was fast yeah it, it had super a, light it had a, it 210 had a, 215 horsepower <laughs> probably 2,000 pounds wow just quick really quick yeah. I mean my 911 might be faster but you have to keep in mind that this thing had um it was front wheel drive <laughs> with this type of power so I we crest over this hill and I'm in like fourth gear and the thing in th- maybe it's third gear because I remember I lost traction on the top of the hill because you're just on it with the power. You're going over the hill. You're losing. It goes light. It goes light. And I'm, it's like, and I'm like, ah, this is great. This is so cool. <laughs> and all of a sudden, a car turns out in front of me Ooh. and I had to hit the brakes. Yep. And I, no and traction. I, no traction. I almost hit him. I mean, I almost couldn't stop. And I've never crested a blind hill like that since. And yeah. I went, you know what? This isn't the right car. It's too fast for what it is. It's yeah. basically a motorcycle you can't jump off of or you can't fall off of if something's going to happen. Like if you were going to go like rear end somebody on your motorcycle, you could kind of like slow down and like right. you could I'd either you could drop the bike and like yep. throw the bike into the car. Or I, you know what I've always thought of? This is probably a terrible idea, but in the back of my mind, if I'm ever like in that situation, jump on top I want to jump over the car. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want to just keep going and jump over it and, and land get, in front of them and be like, ha ha. And then get run over. I've seen probably. videos of people that have done that. Yeah. It's funny. Anyway. I just thought it wasn't the right car for me. So then I ended up selling the car. But the funny story about this is I sold the car for $11,500. Okay. So I made, well, wait, wait, what did I do? Did I sell that one? <laughs> wait. Yeah, yes, yeah. Okay, I'm trying to figure out. I've sold so many cars. So I sold it for like 11500 The guy flew out to look at it, yeah. gave me the money, and yeah. then the truck came up to take the car away. And for some reason, I said, hey, thanks a lot. I took the money envelope, and I put it on the rooftop of the car. Okay. And I went inside, and then the guy showed up to come tow the car away, and we pushed it outside, pushed it up on the trailer of the truck, and I went inside and started watching TV with my wife. And my wife goes, she goes, hey, where's that envelope? Uh-huh. I go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. $11,500 in cash in the envelope. It's on top of the car. Yeah. So I... I mean, I stood up faster than if I had sat on a cactus. I mean, I was gone <laughs> out the door so fast, went out there. Guess what was laying in the middle of the road? No. Two kidding. hours later, the envelope is laying wet. So in the, the guy who loaded the car up didn't even see didn't it. Didn't even see it. Drove away and it just fell off. It just fell off, slid up because the car was at an angle on the trailer. <laughs> it just slid off the back and just was just there. Oh and if, my. God. And if I wouldn't have went out there and because that oh. money, that money from that car. Yeah is how I got my white 911. Sure. If I wouldn't have went out there and found that envelope, my life would be different today. I never would have got my white car. I never would have gotten my blue car. I never would have went on some of the adventures that I've gone on. Yeah. I never would have fallen in love with Porsche and the 911. I mean, obviously everybody, you know, I, or sorry, I always wanted a 911. Sure. But I never would have like experienced everything. And you would have been all the stuff at 12 Rensport. grand poorer. Yeah, but it's that's... In the scheme of all the money I've made in my life, that's nothing, right? No. It doesn't matter. It's all the experiences that I maybe would have had different experiences. Who knows? But the ones that I have now that I hold dear never would have happened if wow. I wouldn't have found 
that envelope in the middle of the room. <laughs> That's a good story. Yeah, the envelope was white and it just said Shiraco on it. <laughs> not fuck. Not money sign, money sign, money <laughs> sign <laughs> in a bag. Take me. <laughs> All right, before we get into uh, talking about Lama, why don't we talk a little bit about Oberk Car Care? That's right. Yes. Yeah, so Oberk is your premier source for detailing compounds, pads, and polishes. With 15 years of experience working with the largest brands in the industry, the engineers over at Oberk have made a simple holistic system that really takes the guesswork out of paint correction. You know, I'm not a detailer by any stretch of the imagination, but it's so easy how they give you one compound that works with the one pad and the other one for cut and then the other one's for buff with the separate pad. I love it. It works on any type of paint. Be sure to check these guys out. I really do like it. It's oberkcarcare.com, not comb. I did this last week. It's because I'm looking at your comb. <laughs> Oberkcarcare.com and use the exclusive code OVERCREST to get 15% off any order over $35. And they'll toss in one of those Eagle Edgeless Towels for Overcrest fans. I got a little ahead of myself. You've got some rally prep that you did to your car. Right. Let's, let's hear it. Sorry. I didn't no, mean to like, step on No, that's fine. We got to get that in there. So, yeah, I was, where was I? Last week, I was Probably going to meet Minnesota. up. I was in Minnesota. My wife and I were going to meet up with my other buddy, Chris, who has a 911. He just now, got what, it. Now, what everybody's not seeing right now is is Jake actually, uh, we should get back on the cam again because you're actually doing driving things oh, with Oh, yeah. Your Whenever hands. I'm going somewhere, I'm literally steering, right? <laughs> and it's always the, like, it's not realistic steering. It's kindergarten steering. Oh, where yeah. You're always going back and forth oh, yeah. for some some reason just sawing at the wheel. If you actually drove like that, you would crash and die. Yeah, it'd be bad. So my wife and I are driving in the 911. We're going to meet my other buddy in his new 911. It's going to be great. And all of a sudden, it like it kills at a stoplight. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's odd. I guess it's just cold. It doesn't usually do this, though. And so start it up. And then I get it going. Next stoplight kills. What the heck? This time it won't start. And there's this lady in the turn lane next to me and this old lady looking at my car. Were you thinking about your battery? Like, oh, Chris is going to love this. No, because the battery's great. The battery just keeps turning. Okay. No problem there. But the lady next to me, I just remember the visual because I'm like, there's people behind me honking. Like, what's this guy in this old car doing? This little piece of crap thing. doesn't run. And the lady next to me, she's like, go. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm trying. (laughs) Jeez. And so finally it catches and Nikki's like, I think we should go back. I was like, yup. And so I just floor it and do like a skid in the middle of the intersection, do a U-turn, yeah. get home. And I was like, all right, I'm done. I went and did our thing. And then I check the battery. Battery's good. Electrical's good. Here's get my question fuel. though. It ended up being your alternator. Yes. So, so I finally get it running I have a again. question before okay, you do that. Go. Why were you, why would the car die if your battery was I good? don't know. Is it... Because it would, it would it would ran fine at high revs. It's just something at low revs. It didn't make sense to me either. Maybe the alternator was. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't I make don't any sense because it. it would run fine at high revs. It would. The, the cars need very very little voltage to run. Right. To run the well, you don't to run the fuel pump. Do you have a mechanical fuel pump? No, mine's electric. Okay, so to run the fuel pump and the spark takes almost nothing. You could run that on eight volts if yeah. it's running. Like when I when you've jump started my car and I pulled the, the cables off, yeah, it's still running on the battery, right? And I have to rev it up to get the alternator to turn on. I was just killed my battery at the um, 
she drove the car the other day, killed the battery, left the blinker thing on, which is my fault. <laughs> okay. And uh, so I go out, go out there, jumpstart the car. She starts driving away, turns the windshield wiper on, and the car shuts off. <laughs> <laughs> but they will run on almost nothing. They'll, they'll run on enough power that, that the, the, the windshield wiper <laughs> makes the difference. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, it won't do the windshield wiper, but it'll throw a spark at the motor. Yeah. But, so, so, so I don't understand. your question, I don't know. I don't know. And it took me a while to di- diagnose that. But so I got it running again. And I check and nope, it's low voltage at the battery. So I know it's not charging. I'm yep. checking connections. I'm checking the regulator, voltage regulator. And so I was like, well, it's kind of a hassle to get the alternator in these cars. It's yeah. It's Once you've done as, it a few times, it's not it's so bad. It's not like the neighbor's Chevy truck that I did was two bolts and you take off yes. the tensioner. Yes, it's right? not that. Yeah. So I, it sucks because you have to like it, the way it is in the in the shroud and the housing with the with the air the air shroud that directs yes. the air. Th- you have to like reach back in there to undo the bolts. So you yes. can pull the fan Terrible. out. It's it's not fun. Yeah. So I get all that out and But the fan is at like eye level for you, so that must be nice. Yeah, it's great. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> uh maybe on one of Keem's Safari 911s, actually it would be. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I get it out and I notice there's oh, there's an extra bolt right here or an extra nut or something. And I remember it comes back to me. Oh, I dropped a nut when I was installing this thing. Oh, and just and grabbed I thought it. Yeah, I just dropped grabbed another because I thought it just went into the cooling like fins you know down on the cylinder that's fine kind of uh but somehow i think it either got stuck on the magnets and the alternator and finally came loose and it basically broke one of the wires for the coils on the inner rotor okay so an alternator i had to look this up i didn't really know how an alternator worked i thought it was just magnets inside of a coil and that generates electricity well to get the magnetism to generate enough electricity they can't have magnets that big so they create a magnetic field via a coil inside the alternator that then rotates on the outer field and if you reverse that you can make an electric motor exactly right so i saw that wire was broke is like shoot so i'm looking these things up and you can't find the exact replacement for a 1970 you have to like kind of get a new one and grind down the housing and make it fit what's up with they don't just sell an alternator? Uh, not for this year. It's different wiring. The regulator's off. It's not inboard on this Basically one. Basically, you want people to you rebuild it. You rebuild it, yes. Okay. And so I was like, all right, I can get it rebuilt. And I I just happened to share this in, on Instagram. And our listener and friend, Colin Green, I have to give a shout out to him, man. Awesome dude. Because he messages me back. He goes, I got a couple of these sitting on the shelf right here out in California. I was like, What? He's like, yeah, want me to ship you one to use? I thought he was here. I thought he lived here. So he he splits his time now. Okay. Yeah. So he did move here. He's here for the rally, but he happened to be back in LA. So he rush ships me this alternator. It's the exact replacement. I bolt it up. Car runs great. I drop mine off at a repair shop, and they say, we'll get to it in a couple weeks. So that's the long story. I'm also installing a new seat, which I'll probably have in for the rally at some point. Sounds good. I saw that you were using a skateboard as your what? seat slider. <laughs> I was. So I put the news, I took the original seat out. I put the new one in. It doesn't have the right, I mean, it nothing bolts up correctly or Correct. directly. You have yep. to kind of modify it. And so I was like, well, how am I going to figure out the exact seating position I want and everything? And so I can adjust it. And my dad was over and he's, I have to give him credit. He's so good at just like spatial puzzles. Yeah. So he's like, Oh, grabs my skateboard, puts it on the floorboard, and puts the seat on it. He goes, all right, sit on it. <laughs> it worked out so, perfect, actually. Here's the problem. Can you see your headlights? Yes. You can. You can see the... I, I So I'm slightly higher, actually, than where I sat in the old seat. Okay, that's so good. Because I thought of what you said. Yep. Because these would sit 
lower. That's the problem is you get some of these seats in sh- short guys like Jake and slightly less short guys like me. <laughs> I like that distinction. <laughs> <laughs> you sit in the seat and you can't see the the what's called the iconic you know design right. with the headlights yeah, out you there. You can't see the hood dropping down low. You can't see any of it because we, we, we're short. Right. Sucks. So, so you no, kind of raise the seating position up. will be perfect. Awesome. Plus, it makes the sight picture of the gauges better. Well, as I didn't well. realize too. Your steering wheel is slightly off to the right in a factory seating position. Right. So I'm going to mount it slightly inboard. So I've never noticed that. Actually squared up. Okay, for real. For real. Let's, let's talk about Le Mans. Let's do it. All right. So, Chris, our story actually starts way back in 1842. That's the year that the good old days. <laughs> Ernest Sylvian Bollet, a bell founder and inventor, is a bell to founder the French like a, town of Le Mans. A guy that makes bells? It is indeed. In a foundry? Yes. I like you, it. Spot on right there. He was a successful industrialist. That's a really hard job, you know. It is because making you have to a bell. tune it correctly as well. Absolutely. Not only do they have to cast them, they have to tune them. It's an it's an amazing thing. I bet they, it's an artisan. Yeah, that is an artisan for sure. Unless they crack the bell, but although then I, it's the Liberty Bell. I've heard that cracking the bell makes it legendary for all time. So <laughs> well, but we have one particular one. All right, so this guy he's an industrialist, and he became ill in the 1860s. And when he got kind of ill, he decided to delegate his businesses to off to his three sons. Do you think that because everybody knew they were going to die by like 40, they tried a lot harder than we did in our 20s? Maybe. Because... I also think it's such a different time that, I don't know, Do you, you think were that, good with your hands and you had some opportunity. Yeah, but you had to bust your ass. You had to get your life together and get something together to leave your kids because you were going to die in like five minutes of something. <laughs> Something that was sweaty and gross. Yeah, probably. I I don't know. Now we can just be like, yeah, well, 50 is the new 40, so screw it. Right. What does that make me? I don't know. What does that make you? 32. So I'm like 20. I should still be drinking in frat houses. (laughs) Regardless, this guy was not. So he left his businesses to his three sons. Amade Ernest, the eldest son, was given charge of the Bell Foundry, while second in line, Ernest Jules supervised the hydraulic ram business his father had, and the youngest son, Auguste Sylvian, assumed control of the wind turbine factory his dad had. Was there any consumers out there that just didn't really do much? Like, there's all these guys, everybody seems to be doing something. Well, at least if they make it into one of our history stories. That's true. I, I, I'm yeah, sure there's still common everyman. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing stories no. about the uh, the plebeians that no, are just we're not. growing but wheat. This guy has, what, a wind turbine factory, a hydraulic ram business, and the bell foundry. Yeah, he's industrious. Yes, what a family. So while Amade operated this bell foundry, casting the many giant bells used in churches, town squares across the country, he found himself dabbling in other inventions. Most notable, he started developing early steam-powered mechanisms, eventually manufacturing his first steam-powered vehicle in 1875, dubbed Obesetante, which translates into the obedient. Ooh, I like that. I wonder what his, if his wife had any issues with him. The obedient. <laughs> You're not obedient, so I'm going to name my machine the obedient. This massive steam vehicle was powered by two independent V-twin steam engines, one driving each rear wheel. It carried 12 passengers and had a top speed of 25 miles per hour. Now, that's pretty serious. If you're trying to picture this thing, it's basically a massive train locomotive that happens to have a steering wheel and doesn't go on tracks. 
Okay. Like it's big. What are the, what's the displacement, I wonder, of something like that? I don't know. But I love that he has two engines on both, like one for each. Right. So I wonder if you'd steer it by just like putting more pressure to one side or the other. I guess you probably could, like a tank. Yeah, exactly. Uh, its most notable feature, however, was the fact that it made the first road trip from the town of Le Mans to the capital of Paris, which took 18 hours. So I've got a lot. I've, I owe something to this guy. Yeah, yeah first, first road, road trip. trip. And so we shouldn't be surprised that in 1906, Amade took his passion and with a few of his contemporaries. Jake, yes. what qualifies as a road trip? We've talked about this. No, just quick. What makes a road trip? Is it when you are driving, but you don't really care when you get there? Because you're still probably going to have a destination. You'll have a destination. Sometimes I feel like you've got to get there by a certain time. Yeah, well, I think a road trip is just a bigger, like a longer distance than your regular daily. Would you consider uh, Milwaukee a road trip? 300 I, I miles? I would, yeah, actually. I think it's when you... When the actual driving part becomes part of the journey. There you go. Of, of getting I like there that as well. definition. Yeah. So Amade, again, with his kind of interest and passion for these vehicles, whatever you'd call that monstrous locomotive thing, along with a few of his contemporary guys, founded the Automobile Club de la Sarthe. So the Automobile Club de la Sarthe organized <laughs> a race on local public roads. It was a 65-mile triangular course connecting Le Mans with St. Calais, Calais, St. Calais, and La Ferté Bernard, which are all French towns that I think I pronounced excellently. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if we can get somebody to judge that. It, we do have listeners in France, just so you excellent. know. Excellent. Let me know how that goes. Probably not anymore. <laughs> no, that was it. Uh, the 12-lap race, titled the Grand Prix d'AFC, was held over two days and won by Farak Cizez, driving a Renault. This race, the first... That was first, a one, one and done? <laughs> this first... Yeah, no, it was not, actually. This race, the first Grand Prix, would eventually become the French <coughs> Grand Prix. We've heard of that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So after World War I, the Automobile Club de la Sarthe turned its attention to designing a different circuit just to the south of the city. Now, the organization's chief secretary, Georges Durand, together with magazine editor Charles Ferreau for La Vie Automobile magazine, which apparently was already a magazine in 1906. Jeez. Uh, no, it was later in 1906, but regardless. And they also had a tire manufacturer, Emile Coquille, came up with the idea for a 24-hour race. And so, the 24 Hours of Le Mans was born. That must have been quite the feat back then. I mean, obviously now, the biggest adversary of doing the 24 Le Mans is time and reliability. Right. But back then... I mean, this guy recently had a V-twin steam engine bus <laughs> train thing, and now, <laughs> so, so it's just... It's, this is, yeah, we're entering the t 1920s now. So there are, like, Grand Prix-style races out there where you think of, like, the 20s jalopy, but they're streamlined. Think, like, the, the famous Bentley thing with the weird positive camber, yeah, right? Yeah, you yeah. have those things out there. Right. But what you need to realize is counter to these high-speed Grand Prix-style races that preceded it, the idea behind this race was far different. Instead of focusing on the ability to build the fastest machine out there, an endurance race would instead concentrate on the ability to build capable machines that can last. This was 
truly a trial ground to test their mechanical endurance, hence the term endurance races. Right. At the same time, the layout of this track... And, of course, the human element, too, the human endurance, too. Yeah, there's, it's not just mechanical Nobody's endurance. back there has got cool suits. Nobody, you know, there's... Yeah, exactly. It's a, big, it's a much bigger deal back then. Yeah, and these were uh, two-person teams, it sounded like, for the actually most of the history of the race. Okay. Uh, at the same time, the layout of the Two track, drivers, you mean? Yes. Jesus. I know. That's a lot <laughs> of time behind the wheel, 12 hours. Uh, at the same time, the layout of a track necessitated, necessitated cars with better aerodynamics and stability at high speed. There's a lot of straights on the track. Well, few tracks in Europe had straights anywhere near as long as Mulsanne. 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 Thank you. Uh, additionally, because the roads were public roads and thus not as meticulously maintained as an actual racing circuit, the race put much more strain on parts, increasing the importance of reliability. Mm -hmm. You know, you need yeah. an actual suspension on these cars. The origin plan for the or the original plan for the race was actually really complex. So it's not just like race every year and see who comes out first. Right. It was initially planned to be a three-year affair with the car that accumulated the best overall time in aggregate after three runs taking first place. So you would have to run three years in a row, and whoever had the best times for all three years combined won. Good grief. So I mean, you, how do you even if you won the race, you'd have to be like, well, hopefully I do well next year and the following year before I celebrate. Or if I don't get kicked in the horse, kicked in the face by a horse yeah. and I'm dead. And so that idea was <laughs> soon scrapped. How long did that go for? That do went know? for four years. Okay. So, so they got through one cycle basically. <laughs> and they're like, wait, no, this is no, no good. No. Yeah. So who the fourth, who won the fourth year? Did they give them the win? <laughs> I don't, I don't have, I have the full history, but I didn't look. The fourth year. Did anybody win that year? Oh, that, good point. Does I'm it sure count? they did. Yeah. We'll I'm give, sure we'll give did. it to them. Uh, I do have the winners of the first Le Mans race. It was Andre Lacache and Rene Leonard who were driving a three-liter Chenard and Walker, which traveled a total 1,300 miles in the 24 hours of the race, which I did the math is an average speed of 54 miles an hour. What kind of car is this? So this is kind of what you picture, that Bentley thing that I mentioned. Yeah. You know, forward engine, probably a four-cylinder. Where you're basically liter. sitting over the rear axle. Yes, exactly. Yep, I do have a photo of it, and that is basically what it is. Uh, in total, listen to this. This first year, 1923, 66 drivers in 33 cars took on the course, and a remarkable 63 finished the 24-hour race. Wow, that is incredible. How How is that? Only three cars did not finish the first ever Le Mans. I have no idea. They must not... Obviously, they were probably pushing the envelope, but... Maybe not as much as they are today. Today, that it's such a razor's edge. Yeah, because today you assume you're going to finish, so you push hard. Right. Whereas then it was probably, we don't know if we're going to finish, so we're going to just focus we're on just finishing. We're just going to finish. Yeah. That's well, probably even today, to finishing is considered. Well, it is because, like you say, the cars are just so razor edge. Right. Uh, Le Mans was held every year until 1936, in which general strikes in France caused its cancellation. Uh, the racetrack then a couple... The race then was held a couple more years, but was put on hiatus again in 1939 with, of course, the outbreak of World War II. Right. The hiatus continued for a decade until 1949 when it came back. Now, one detail I found it was really interesting about these early years of the race was the participation at the 1935 race. Ten women participated in the race. They actually raced in the race, a record that still stands today. 
Now, this wasn't actually the first time women had competed in the race. As we know. Yeah, well, no, it's not the last time either, but it's not the first time. In 1930, Margaret Maurice and Odette Seco shared a driving responsibility of their Brigatti Type 40, which I think is actually that model we're talking about, and came into a very respectful seventh place overall. Four years later, that same Odette Seco did even better, coming in fourth place overall, the best result for a woman in Lamont's history, which is a record that still stands to this day. So... Question. Yes. These are badass chicks, first no of all. No kidding. And of course, the women that are doing it today, like the Iron Dames, are also badass. Yeah, we interviewed name. one of the drivers for the Iron Dames Le Mans racing course. Great episode. You should go back and listen to it if you haven't. But I'm thinking of however long ago that was, 60 or I guess 70 years ago or whatever it might have been. You really had to be a badass chick back then. Yeah. And even you, to drive. You're you're spitting in a spittoon in the in the bar <laughs> if you're that girl. You know, you're yeah. you are serious business. Oh yeah. Yeah, I really like that story. So following the war and the reconstruction of the roads and track, the race was resumed in 1949 with a heightened interest. More RO companies entered than ever before. And I think we alluded to this in some history episodes before. It's like after World War II, people just wanted to kind of move on and get it in things. And there was also this huge industry. Yep. You know, war creates a lot of manufacturing. And, and they a lot all, of children. And, well, <laughs> afterward. The baby boomers, yeah. Mm -hmm. But no, I think there was a lot of these companies that were kind of getting back into manufacturing. And they said, well, let's go racing. So more companies entered than ever before. However, it wasn't until 1953 that things really took off. That's when the World Sports Car Championship was formed, which was a series of races in which Le Mans became the headliner. As a result of this new level of competition between manufacturers, major brands like Ferrari, Aston Martin, Mercedes-Benz, Jaguar started sending now multiple cars to race in hopes of outdoing each other. This competitiveness, however, often resulted in tragedy, as happened in 1955. The disaster of 1955's Le Mans race was the deadliest in history. The crash started when a Jaguar driver, Mike Hawthorne, pulled to the right side of the track in front of an Austin Healey driver, Lance Macklin, and started braking for his pit stop. Keep in mind, in this day, there was no like deceleration lane to get into the pits. It was just a pit right. that you'd drive into. Macklin swerved out from behind the slowing Jaguar into the path of Leve who was passing on the left in his much faster magnesium alloy-bodied Mercedes 300 SLR. The Mercedes was closing on the car at over 120 miles per hour and did not even have time to react. The Mercedes' right front wheel rode up onto the left rear corner of Macklin's car, which acted as a ramp and launched Levin's car into the air, flying over spectators and rolling end over end for 260 feet. LeVay was thrown free from the tumbling car, but his skull was crushed instantly when he hit the tarmac. Oh. The Mercedes landed on the embankment between the spectators and the track, bounced, then slammed into a concrete stairwell and disintegrated. This left the heaviest components of the car, the engine, radiator, suspension, transmission, all his individual projectiles, hurtling straight into the crowd for nearly 300 feet, crushing everything and every one. The car essentially became a shotgun. It did. The bonnet lid is the scariest part. This is the hood. Sliced through the air, quote, 
decapitating tightly jammed spectators like a perfectly designed guillotine. God. In all, 84 people were killed in a matter of seconds. The incident led to the widespread introduction of safety measures. Not Here's only the question. Here's the question. Yeah. A lot of people have died in motorsports. This is kind of a sidebar question. Sure. Why is it worth it? I would thought you were going to ask answer it ask a separate question. So I'm going to pose one to you before I answer. Okay. Is it worse that these are spectators and not participants? Yes, because agreed. Because they aren't they didn't feel like they were taking a risk when in they showed up. In this instance, it was not worth it at all. No. I don't think there should ever be danger for spectators. Correct. However, to get to your point, and we've talked about before, there needs to be some sort of, whether it's a danger or consequence, that really fuels what Passion. makes yeah, this so passionate. I mean, it's, it comes down to just basically core, unidentifiable human needs and primal fears and overcoming them and... I think we did an episode on we this. We did a whole episode on yeah, this. It, yeah, it comes to a very, very primal need to feel yeah. danger and to conquer things and and to overcome. And I think when... Why do people still climb mountains? Yeah, know? I think when people become idle and they, and they aren't feeding that part of their psyche is when people start to do stupid things that you see in society today, violent things or depressive things or self-destructive things is because they don't have... There's no challenge in their life. They think they have challenges in their life, but it's usually challenges that they set up for themselves. Interesting. It's yeah. not something like taking a risk like this. I mean, obviously, this is like some sort of extreme example. Everybody, you know, Johnny John John that works down at Subway is not going to be like, go hop in a Formula One car and go endanger himself. No, but this is, uh, what is it, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? right. This is self-actualization. Yeah. Like, you, this is a, a form of that. It is very primal, and I yes. think that we need that, and I... And I truly think it's it's being slowly we're being weaned. Try there, people are trying to wean us off of that, but you can't. You just can't. And yeah. it's and I think that's part of what's wrong with society today. On that note, <laughs> let's get into the safety features that were implemented. No, but because of this incident, it led to widespread introduction of safety measures, not only at this circuit but elsewhere in the motorsport world as a whole. Safety standards improved, but. As we know, the cars kept getting faster, and the move from open cockpit roadsters to closed cockpit coupes resulted in speeds over 200 miles per hour on the Mulsanne. Well over well 200 miles over per hour. as we know. Okay, yeah. well over. Well, before we move on to the next part of the story, let's take a break to talk about Petrol Box. Petrol Box is one of our subscribers... I'm sorry, one of our sponsors. They're a monthly subscription I think they probably service. subscribe to. I hope they subscribe. They are the ones that you should subscribe to, though. They're a monthly subscription service specifically for the automotive enthusiast. You know what's coming up, slowly but surely? What's that? Christmas. There you go. Yeah. This would make a great gift for the car guy in your life, or dare I say it, for yourself. Each month, they carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, and all sorts of other stuff, and deliver it right there to your doorstep. There are actually two levels of subscription to choose from. The Petrolbox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrolbox Premium gets you more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first order. 
Right on. Let's keep let's let's All right, keep her let's going. Let's talk about Le Mans. Now, let's talk about the actual track. It's interesting to note that the track itself is not called Le Mans. That's the name of the town. The course itself is known as Circuit de Sarth. Which means? The Sarth being the river that passes through the town of Le Mans. So it's basically the circuit of this river. Sure. Okay. The 8.5-mile track is comprised of private roads used exclusively Which for racing. Which is twice as long as most tracks are. Most tracks are three to four miles. Yeah, it's, right. it's so a it's, it's big, big track. And so it's comprised of private roads that you know are just made for this racing event. But they combine that then with public roads that are shut down for the race events. So you kind of have this contrast of surfaces. So the circuit is divided into several sections. And I want to know if you either recognize or know some of these. Okay. Some of them are famous. Sure. So it starts with the Indianapolis, named for the famed American Brickyard at the Indy Motor Speedway. I've so, heard of it, but I don't know why. Right. So the reference is to the presence of bricks under the ta- tarmac, right where the race begins there at Le Mans. Uh, the Indianapolis section lends... <laughs> See, it's bumpy, Chris. That's what it sounds like when you go over the brickyard section. Just like that. So the Indianapolis leads into the Arnage, then onto the Porsche Curves. We've heard that one, which yep, were added absolutely. in 1972. That's, like the, that's the, the S-curve, right? Yes, exactly. Then the Forge Canes, which were created in 1968 for pit safety reasons due in part to that 1955 catastrophe. The Dunlop Bridge arches over the track as the chicanes become the Tetre Rouge. Tetre Rouge. It's, is te- I bel- it's Tet Rouge. Tetre Rouge. No, it's Tet, tet Rouge. Rouge. The Rouge then goes onto the Honduras straightaway, better known as the Musan Strait. Which now is a kink. Right, it does have a kink. And that's fairly race- recent, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. What's yeah. in the last... And then you go back into the Indianapolis. So that's the track. And now I want to kind of finish this up with my favorite bit of history regarding this race. The famous Le Mans start. Since the race's inception. It's pretty wild. It is wild. Since the race's inception in 1923, tradition dictated a standing start or what is now known as the Le Mans start. And involved drivers lining their cars up along the pit wall. Racers would then have to stand on the opposite side of the track. And when the French flag dropped, the drivers would sprint to their cars, strap themselves in, and begin racing. This practice continued all the way up to 1969 until one man put a stop to it. Enter Jackie X. It seems like a little bit ridiculous because you know that these dudes aren't putting their seatbelt on. Exactly. They're just getting in the car and they're trying to get out quickly. Exactly. Which over a 24-hour period, like, what are you gaining? Exactly. So, Jackie X. My guy. Most people know the name. I didn't necessarily know the history. So we're going to take a really quick sidebar to talk about Jacques Bernard X. He was born on the 1st of January, 1945, in Brussels, Belgium. X was introduced to motorsport at a young age when he was taken by his father to races he covered as a motoring journalist. Ironically, despite this family background, X really didn't have much interest in the sport until his father bought him a little 50cc motorcycle. He began to compete in motorcycle trials and demonstrated impressive talent, actually beating the future motocross world champion, Roger DeCoster, in the Belgian 50cc championship. 
Ix soon switched from trial bikes onto cars. His first win in a car was the 1965 Belgian Touring Car Championship in a Lotus Cortina, which is an awesome, awesome car. car. Love gr- those things. And the following year, he conquered the Spa 24 Hours in a BMW 2000 Ti. It wasn't long 2002? before... This 2000? says a 2000 Ti. Yeah, okay, I'm not... That real, might be wrong. I'm super not into my... I know, pre- yeah, I know BMW, 2002. I don't know. I don't know what this is. Pre- well, I guess if it was in 1960-something. 65. It, it wouldn't have been a 2002. No. That's, yeah. Okay. So regardless, it wasn't long before Ix became a prominent figure in endurance racing. And in 1969, at the start of the 37th Le Mans, he became even more prominent. As the flag dropped at the start of the race, the drivers set off running to jump into their cars as quickly as possible. Everyone, that is, except X. Amidst the chaos of the starting grid, Jackie calmly takes his time walking over to his Ford GT40. This brazen act was one of protest. You see, in this type of start, as you mentioned, Chris, drivers begin racing without putting on their helmets or safety belts in order to save the few seconds to get going. They want to be the first one out there. It was precisely under these circumstances, however, that his compatriot William Maurice was seriously injured a year prior during the 1968 Le Mans. A lot of the reason for that also is getting out of getting past turns like one and two. If you can get out in front and you can get away from traffic, right, you're much more likely to continue on through the race. I right. think it's more about that than it is just a few, uh, a, a few seconds. Well, it is a few seconds because if you're the first one out there. You know what I mean? If you leave a few right. seconds first, you're going to be the first one out there. So you get it. But his his buddy Willie the previous year was seriously interested in I'm sorry. Interested in what? Interested <laughs> <Dying>? in yeah, <laughs> not being injured. He was actually unable to continue his racing career after the accident and he fell into a deep depression and committed suicide. So Jackie X is like really bummed about this. He strolled to his car at the starting grid that following year. He took his time deliberately putting on his safety belt and helmet and started the race dead last in the field. In a sad twist of irony, Ix was vindicated by his protest. And the very thing he was protesting occurred at that moment on the track. One lap in, John Wolfe had an accident in his Porsche 917 and was killed because he had not taken the time to belt himself in. Once the race resumed, Ix was able to make up his position, eventually turning it into a head-to-head battle between his Ix-driven Ford GT40 and a Porsche 908. In what is the arguably the most dramatic finish in Le Mans history, Ix wins the race, finishing just seconds ahead of the Porsche 908 of Hans Hermann and Gerard Lacruz. And seconds in a 24-hour race? That's, that's tight. It's yeah. nuts. It was Ford's fourth victory in a row as well as its last in the history of Le Mans, ending the GT40's dominance in the late 60s, which I can't wait for the movie coming out. Yeah, that's We talk about Ford v. Ferrari, which is, of course, about that battle. However, this victory off the track was more important to Ix. His protest didn't go unnoticed, and the rules were changed from 1970 so that all drivers started the race sitting in their cars to prevent them from risking their lives to save a few extra seconds. Thus ended the era of the Le Mans-style start that introduced many lasting adaptations. For example, it's, you know, basically everyone knows the story. It's because the driver had to run to their car and start the engine themselves that Porsche put the ignition key 
on the left, the steering wheel. Is this so they could start it as they're getting this in? This made it possible, yes, to start the car as you're putting it in gear to go away, to basically start the race. Which, when you think about it, there's no mention there of putting your seatbelt on until after you're underway. Right. Regardless, such is the story of one of the most historic races in the world. I love Le it. I love it. That's, uh, that's. I'm sure there's a lot more history behind Le Mans. Oh, there is. I, that's I, very condensed. But but I really like the. Uh, I like that very very much. Um. So, guess what? What? I hope a lot of people that are listening to this right now are, are on, on the rally. Way, <laughs> are on the way to the rally or on the rally right now. Yeah. Actually, I hope I hope they're listening to music while they actually do the rally or just enjoying the company of their co-driver. Um. I hope everybody has fun on the rally. If you're on your way up here right now, um, drive safe. We'll see you soon. And man, I've got goosebumps just thinking about everybody going out there and having a good time. We will see you on Monday. Uh, Hop over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. I think this episode's definitely worth that. And uh, head on over to patreon.com slash overcrest and join up and support the show. Absolutely. Take Take care, care. guys.